thank you for having me. I thank Mark. I really want to thank Miss Vale and Miss Heather because, as you'll find out, both couples were with me during a very hard time in my life, and I feel like they sacrificed a lot for me. And because we were men, we usually were talking men things, or so the women bore the brunt of it and had to just sit there and be like, oh, "Are these guys ever gonna?" is this guy ever gonna go home? And I was like, I don't really have anything at home. Why should I go? But they were very graceful and let me stay probably way past what I should have, so. As he said, I'm Byron Staggs. My wife, Carrie, we just celebrated 10 years of marriage in June. And I'm an elder at Faith Baptist Church in Delavan. I've preached a couple times there, and so, yeah, right about now you're going, what is this guy doing bringing in the Baptist guy? But it's just how I grew up. I'm just comfortable there, so. Mark has played a huge role in helping mold me and helping open my eyes to see. When you talk to people about the grace message and the finished work, if you just lay it out and explain to them, this is what it looks like, or this is what we're talking about, they would go, yeah, I agree with that. I'm okay with that, I'm comfortable with that. But then when you start to apply it to real life situations, their religious doctrine and their training all of a sudden says, wait a minute, I didn't know it was gonna be like that. I didn't know it had to go that far. In fact, all the people I go to church with, almost everybody I've ever run into, has no problem with grace when it comes to salvation. They're all for it. They're like, of course that's the only way you get saved. But it's then applying that grace after the fact, where all of a sudden they go, but now you received it back then, but you need to start doing some things. You need to start straightening out some things. And so even for me, that, that's where I had to, a lot of undoing of things I grew up with or because of my Baptist background and not picking on them, but that's how I grew up, so that's what I know. And so it, I had to step back and go, okay, what does God say? What does His grace look like? And then where do I catch myself falling into rules and what I've known as opposed to what God says? So actually, I mean, you guys get your money's worth here. You've had one, two, three, three messages already. I'm just going to come up here and testify, basically. I don't know if he knew that's what I was invited for, but I took it as that. So you'll get like 75% testimony and maybe 25% preaching. So Mark has been like my mentor. Every time I had a question, I always went to him. I always, if I had a problem, I was like, you know, tell me something, tell me anything. And then he's always been there for me. But leading up to this, he started to tell me this story and he was trying to introduce me to like Paul White and his ministries and go listen to them. And he said, you ever walked into a room and known like the other guy in the room is like the best speaker in the room and he's the best at what he does. And I was thinking to myself, even before he's done telling the whole thing, setting it up, I'm like, I know because I'm going to be there in like a week and a half. I know exactly what you mean <laughs> because he's just that way. I mean, when he tells stories, when he preaches anything, I'm like, I can't compare to that. So I don't plan to try to today. But I'm going to give you my background. I'm going to give you my 
testimony of how I got saved and then my testimony of how I interacted with these two couples and the main thing I'm just here to encourage you because you guys have some of the best leaders and ministers that you could find anywhere and I don't care how much he builds up somebody else I'm telling you you guys have the best right here and I say that from my own personal experience I experience their grace when I hear Mark kind of like tell me about like the old Mark that still had a little law mixed in. I'm like, you were still the most graceful person I had ever met. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but that's just the way he is. So I grew up in a Christian home. My mom was saved before I was born. My mom and biological dad got divorced when I was about one or two. My mom was remarried when I was like five. My stepdad was newly saved. And so I've grown up in church all my life. If the lights were on, we were there. It's weird because my church also only does Sunday morning services, and we don't have anything else, any other services, per se, during the week. And so when I told my parents, they were like, what do you mean you only have a Sunday morning? <laughs> what do they do on Sunday nights? What do you guys do on Wednesday nights? I'm like, well, I'm usually going to bed for work, but I don't know what everybody else is doing. But it's just that mentality, you know, on whether good or bad, things change over time. Culture changes. Everything changes. So I'm okay with that. I love my church. And I was like, I don't know what to tell you, Mom, but that's where I'm going. So, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, every time the lights were on, we were there. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesdays, revival, Awanas. I mean, it was just home. It was second home, you know. It's just what she did. I didn't know anything else. And so I grew up in all of that. But as I'll get into later, there are things that happen to us in life that leave scars on us. And, and they leave impressions on us. And a lot of times we don't even realize it. We don't even know it. And there's things that we react to, situations or people or things that are said, and we react. And we don't even know why we react like that because we don't stop and take the time to think, where did that come from? Where did that start? And so for me, when I compare my life to my wife's life, I mean, she's been in foster home and she's seen a lot of uh, violence in her upbringing and uh, a lot of drugs and alcohol. And so for me, when I talk about mine and I think about my mom and stepdad, my worst memory, my most uncomfortable memory was my stepdad was quite a joker and he would like to push sometimes the buttons of my mom and so i think they had something like that go on and i remember my mom going to her room and she slammed the door i'm serious when i say that literally is my worst memory of their marriage and so when my wife tells me things i'm like i don't know i don't know what that would be like because i never experienced anything like that but for me personally not having my biological dad was really hard for me it really left an impression on me and not a good one. And growing up, not knowing the things, you know, not knowing divorce or custody battles or any of these things, I always was like, why didn't he try harder? Why didn't he want to see me? And now that I'm on the other side of that and I've had my own, I go, oh, well, it's not as simple as that. And there's a lot of different mechanics that go into decision making. And so it's not as simple as I want this one thing to play out and it's going to happen the way I want it. There was not really any intentional tension between me and my stepdad. I mean, my stepdad worked hard for us. He would take any job he had to and he wasn't ashamed of it. On top of all the church I went to, I also went to Christian school at the same 
place where we went to church. So, I mean, I was already tied to that place without even knowing it. And so I've been in Christian school all my life, except for my last two years. I went to a public school. But he was the janitor at the Christian school. I mean, he would do whatever it took to get the bills paid so that we could have a place to live. It's not that I never knew him. I never saw him. As a kid, you don't care about that stuff. You don't look at that stuff. And so because he was a new Christian, his form of discipline was just what he knew from his upbringing. And his parents were German, and he had a pretty strict upbringing. And so I ended up with a pretty strict upbringing. So there was only one thing. You mess up, guess what you're coming home to? And so because of that, as I grew older and went into my teenage years, I became very rebellious and bitter. And I allowed that to be reflected on him. I blamed him for all the bitterness. And really what I didn't realize is it had nothing to do with him. It had to do with being hurt from what I thought was my biological father not wanting me. And, and so I let that rebellion grow and the anger grow. And I just said, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And I really don't care. I don't care if I get in trouble anymore. I don't care what effect it has on other people. I'm just going to do it. And so I chose at about 15. My mom and stepdad had moved to Mississippi. My biological dad lived in Illinois. And I was just like, I'm tired of this. I think it'll be so much better over here because he's not saved. He doesn't go to church. And so I'll get to do whatever I want to do. And so I ended up moving in with him and got to go to public school and got to do what I thought was whatever I wanted. Until he said, finally, one day, he's like, you know, you're old enough. You could probably start working. And since I have my own business, you can start working for me. And I was like, but I have things I want to do. I, I don't want to work. I'm, I'm trying to party and do all kinds of stuff. And so I found out real quickly that even unsaved people have plans for their kids and rules. And I was like, this isn't how it was supposed to be. So I graduated. I got into lots of different things, the drugs, the alcohol. The mother of my children, I ended up, she got pregnant. We separated. I ended up with twins that I didn't know. And I didn't meet them until they were six or seven. And then we had another child together. And now I have twins that are 23 in a couple of days and a 14-year-old girl, which are all great blessings, but they came out of a lot of consequences, a lot of trouble. And so I started working at Chambers and Owen. Mark started working. Steve was there. Mark was the guy, like, I'm like, it was, it was like being right back at home in the Baptist church because Mark had the reputation everybody at work knew. If Mark was going to ride with you, you were going to hear about, do you know where you're going when you die? And I'll be like, I do. I know the story, but I'm tired and I want to go to sleep. And that's why you're there in the driver's seat, because I'm supposed to be over here sleeping. Mark's just got that way. He's not going to just like walk up and hit you with it. He's like, I know I'm going to be with you many more times. We'll just get to know each other. And so he would just slide right in there and be all friendly. And then you just knew. I knew this one day I climbed in the cab. I'm like, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to go to sleep. He's driving. And I just knew I could feel it. Like, I, he's going to ask, man. I'm trying to sleep. He's trying to talk. I'm like this. And he did. He did. He was like, hey, you know where you're going when you're dead? I'm like, I, I know those things. Yes, I grew up in church. I know the whole spiel. And I just don't care right now. I really don't care. I don't want to make that decision. Because like a lot of people, when you're being rebellious, you're like, I'm not going to give up anything. So you're telling me, that 
all these things are sins. He wants to cover them. But in my head, when you say cover, I also know you kind of mean give up too. And I don't want to give them up. I, I just don't want to do that. But then a lot of tension started to build with me and the mother of my children and fighting. And one day I can remember, like, I thought that it was coming to an end. We were engaged to get married. And I thought it was coming to an end. And I was like, I don't know what else to do. I don't know who to talk to except for one guy. So we drive truck a lot. We would drive long distances. We had a lot of time to talk. So even if we weren't together, we could call each other and talk for long periods. And so I'm like, I'm just going to call him. And I called him and I said, I'm not ready to do anything, but I kind of feel like I know something's coming. So I don't know what to do. And he did what he does. He ministers. He ministered and he said, you know what? There was no pressure of let me tell you let me walk you through it and you do it it was let me pray for you and that's what he did he prayed for me that day eventually the tension kept building and honestly out of all the things i think of in my life like i've been in the hospital twice for alcohol poisoning i've had three major car accidents one where i was unconscious for nine hours i broke a rib punctured a lung Many, many nights of going, Lord, just get me through the night and I'll never do this again. But I knew I was lying. And none of those things ever spurred me to go, do you want to change? And to me, when I look back on it, it was the simplest thing. But for whatever reason, it triggered me. So my son came home one day. He had been in school and we started watching a show about what animals are prehistoric or whatever. And they're talking about millions and millions of years. Whatever reason, throughout my whole 20s and that, and all the things I did and dabbled in, I always knew it was truth. I never doubted that it was true about God and the things of God. I just didn't want to live them out or do them. So my son comes and he's like talking. He's like, yeah, we learned this in class today. And he said something about something's like 10 billion years old. And for whatever reason, that just hit me. That hit me hard. Like I was mad. I was like, um, they're lying to you. I don't know how you believe that a teacher's lying to you, but I'm just telling you, they're lying to you. And of course, my son's like, um, no, they're not. They're teachers. They don't lie. <laughs> and, and so I was like, if I don't do something, who is ever going to teach my son the truth? And so out of all the th moments in time where I thought I might die or, or what I felt was close to dying, none of those things fazed me. But this one thing struck me so hard that I was like, I got to do something. So one day I'm, I'm leaving work and the whole time I know that if I make this choice, more than likely this is going to break up my family. And it's already been broken once and I was like, uh, I never wanted to be my real dad and yet all the bad choices I made put me right in line with what I always hated in him, what I always thought I hated of his choices and I ended up doing the same things. And so I reached this point and I said, all right, I want to be able to say when I look back that I at least told my kids the truth and I at least showed them and taught them the truth no matter what might come of it, no matter what the outcome. So one day I left work. There used to be this Walmart pulled right in the parking lot and I just bawled like a baby in my car. And I just cried out to him and I was like, you know, I can remember when I was 12 years old, like loving different devotional things, little things and I, and I felt like at camp I might have said something but I said you know what I don't want there to be any doubt with me I don't I don't want to wonder did I really do it I said this is the moment and so I did it I went home I called my mom probably the next day I told Mark or something and then and then I started this journey and my family did break up and I had to go through 
custody battle and had to go through being kicked out of my home for, I think, like two months or something. And during all that time, time and time again, like, like Vail said, it felt like, Lord, I, I thought you would just magically make all these things better. And time and time again, I would go to court and I would feel like every judgment was against me. Everything kept getting harder. Everything kept not turning out the way I wanted. But during that time, both these families took me in. I could call at any time and Mark would be like, well, just come on over. We're, having, we're about to have dinner, come on over. I can remember the first time Steve and Steve's like, hey, come on over, we're having a, like a family dinner. And I'm like, I don't even know your family. Why would you invite me to that? That's weird, man. But he's like, come on over. And his family, his mom, if, if you know his mom, man, his mom don't care. She like, somebody off the street, hey, I cook, come on in, we're going to feed you. That's what we do. And so I just became like another member of the family. Um, I mean, well, Tanner back there was a little guy that I could guard in football and now probably not so much. But I mean, it was just like this time where over here everything was going wrong, but over here everything was going right. And God was using these people. And that's how I can stand before you today and tell you that you have the best because I experienced their grace. I can remember one time, like, you know, you get saved and I was just like crazy hungry about anything. And then me and Steve just started reading, like, I don't know, I was going to look it up, but what's the longest psalm in the Bible? 119. So I don't know what got into us, but at like 8, 9 o'clock at night, we just decided we're going to read the whole psalm. And, you know, we're at their house at that time. I think Mercy was little and Grace might have been on her way or maybe she had just got in there. But we're like, yeah, let's just start reading it. I would read some, he'd read some. Poor Heather's just like, can we just go to bed? Can we, like, really, do we need to do this now? Can we just, but, but she was so graceful that she was like, I'm going to go to bed. You guys keep doing what you're doing, but I'm going to bed. And then I can just remember, like, we're like, our eyes can't even stay open, but we were just so hungry to do it. And that's what they did. He's like, hey, just crash on my couch. Just, you know, that was normal. That was who they were. And so they just took me in. And so when Mark came to me with this, you know, the message of finished grace, I didn't have to doubt where it was coming from because I've already experienced the grace of God through him already. So it wasn't this, what do you, what'd you get yourself into? Or what do you, you know? There was no doubts because I already know the heart of this man. I already know the truth of it. And so I was like, I'm not scared of whatever he's gonna tell me. I, I mean, there were a bunch of times my little religious antennas were like, oh, I don't know about all that. You're going a little far with that, but the more he ministers and the more you hear this message, the more you stop to take a breath and experience it and apply it, the more you just, it becomes more and more real to you. It becomes more and more like, why would I have ever waited to get to this point? Because when you know that your daddy loved you enough to save you, it's like, that's pretty good. But when you know he loves you enough to forget all those sins, cover them, and never look at the ones you are committing, and he already says, I already paid that price. Why are you beating yourself up? I already put that on my son, and my son conquered it. And so when you get to that point and you go, oh, wow, that's true, you know? I'm going to wake up tomorrow and probably mess up somewhere. But I go, hey, 
it doesn't change the way he views me. It doesn't change the way he looks at any single one of us who already have him as our Savior. And so for me, when I look at these things, I go, who wouldn't want this? But I'll tell you, me personally, because of my Baptist doctrine and upbringing, it is hard to undo that. It's not a simple, oh yeah, okay, I'm over that, I'm on to this. No, because the flesh and, and your knowledge and, and what people you loved shared with you and taught you, you feel like somehow you're betraying them. If all of a sudden you're like, you know, you guys kind of should listen to this. I mean, you, this is better over here, but you feel like you do. You feel like you're betraying the people that f fed into you and, and helped get you to this point, you know. My mom did tons of devotions with me. My mom prayed for years with me, you know. In her own little way, she showed me so much. Her and my stepdad showed me so much because whenever I would go back to visit them before I was saved, once I was out of the house, they would never pressure me. Like, you know, it's church day, right? You know, it's Sunday. Once I was grown, they were like just happy that I came home, just happy to have me there and hang out with them. And so I knew where they were going. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to stay in bed, and I'll see you guys when you get back. But they never put that pressure of that religion of, you got to go with us because we're going. And so I always am able to look back at that and go, man, I don't know how you did it. I don't know how you could just sit there and pray and be okay with just that. Because I look at my kids now, and I'm like, I'm ready to take you out and beat it into you if you're not ready. I'll be like, because I know where it's going. I made those same choices. I know where it's going. But they have to get to the point where they're ready to do it. And so all I can do is pray now, step back and pray. And it's a hard thing to do. I would say for me, rather than bring you a message today, what a Mark kind of did step on it a little, but that's all right. I preached two messages that I, for me, I felt were like very impactful because of the response I got for them. One was called Grace Healed Scars, dealing with the hurts, and one was called Limitless Grace. I just want to give you kind of a synopsis or an overview of both those. And I won't preach them both because we'll, we'll be here a long time. I tend to do go long, so. But I, I listen to Mark's messages, and I'm like, man, he goes long too, so I'm okay. I'll fit right in over there. I'm not going to lie. Our pastor goes kind of short for me. So I'm like, I always feel awkward. People starting to squirm. I'm, they're like, you're way longer than pastor is, man. This is getting, I'm like, bring your lunch bag when you know Byron's preaching. It's okay. It won't offend me. Pull out a little snack. We'll be all right. But for me, the two things where I see where most people lack in this message or lack with this grace is one in their hurts where they've been hurt in the past and they haven't dealt with it. And then two, the religious doctrine that we've been filled with. The things that maybe people on TV or, you know, famous people that we think, you know, well, they went to school and they have all these degrees on the wall. They got to know the Bible better than me. They got to know what they're talking about. And so we allow these different things around us, the different surroundings, whether it was our parents or the denominational stuff or whatever it is, we allow these things to kind of creep in and, and kind of affect and push out this message of finished grace. And so we just need a reminder sometimes. We just need to step back and go, what does God's word say opposed to what am I feeling at this moment? Because your emotions, your feelings will take you all over the map. 
they'll talk you into going, am I really saved to start with? Did I really even make a decision? Was I really serious that day? And so we have to step back and go, well, what was my part in the salvation? We all play a very little part in that. I mean, when we look at what Jesus and what the Father did, we play such a very little role. It's simply going, yeah, I am going to be punished for these sins. But wait a minute, you're offering something for free? I accept that. I accept that. And some of us do it simply out of fear of hell, right? Hell scares us so bad that we're like, I don't care what else I get out of this, I just don't want to go there. And so maybe in that moment we accept that. Just simply go, don't send me to hell. I just want to be saved from that. But then we have so much more. We have so much more waiting for us. And so first I want to deal with the scar issues, the hurts. Like I said, for me, it might seem like I compare stories of ways that other people grew up and I go, I didn't have it that bad. But for whatever reason, it impacted me greatly. The discipline I received made me very angry, very bitter. But because I didn't deal with it, because I, I didn't acknowledge it, the minute I had my own children and they acted out, I only knew one way to solve the problem. I wasn't taught anything else. I only knew one way, and that was, I will make you make the right decisions, whether you want to or not. And I know how to do that because it was done to me. What I didn't bother to do is step back and go, but did you really end up making the right decisions? Or did it just make you more bitter to want to do more wrong? I didn't bother to take that step back. And so dealing with the scars, the thing that I use for people is when I preach the message, I have multiple scars on me. I have one on my knee, one on my chin. And the thing is, every scar, if somebody came up to me and they saw it and they said, hey, how did you get that? Instantly, I could tell them exactly what happened that day, exactly what the setting was, where I was, what happened. The one on my knee, I was in a car accident. Somebody hit me head on. We were both doing about 50 miles an hour, and my knee went in. Some stuff broke on the dash, and it went into my knee. I needed stitches. On my elbow, I had, when I was little, I was trying to jump a ramp. Obviously didn't do that because I landed in the rocks. And, but every single scar, I have yet to meet the person that you can walk up to and go, how'd you get that? And they're like, I really don't remember. Most scars leave such an impact that we remember everything about that day. We remember everything that led up and how we got it. But the problem is our physical scars, they don't go away, right? They might diminish over time. You know, as you grow, it might blend a little more, but they never go away. And when we transfer that over into the spiritual, the things we grow up with, the way we're raised, especially if it's in a non-Christian home, the relationships we have after we get older, all these things are leaving scars on us. All these things are leaving hurts. And if we don't stop to look at them, if we don't stop to go, why does that still hurt me? Why does that still affect me? You know, one of the things I think about when I got the chance when I finally met my children, my daughter wanted no part of another parent. She thought one parent telling her what to do was enough. And she, she didn't see me as, oh, I'm going to get to meet my dad. She saw me as, 
oh, here comes a second person who's allowed to tell me what to do, and she didn't want any part of that. But one night I'm babysitting, and we sit down, and we watch Lilo and Stitch, and I feel like my daughter is like my twin or something, because emotional-wise, we don't share, and we're very cold on the outside. We don't let people see that anything affected us. But when we got the chance, when everybody else is gone, no adults around, and it's just the kids, we get the blanket, we set everything up, and she comes and lays down right next to me. And it was probably the first time she got within two feet of me, uh, unless she was forced to. So we're watching Lilo and Stitch, and of course, you know, it looks all bad at the end, and, you know, Stitch isn't going to be around, and they're not going to be family. And I look over, and she's just bawling. And I realized to myself, I'm like, so am I. I'm bawling. <laughs> I'm like, I feel you, girl. I know. And then because the reality is our hearts desired family so much desired the bond and the love, but we didn't want to admit that that really cuts us to the core. We didn't really want to admit to anybody else that that really hurts us. And, and the reality is we do the same things with our spiritual life. It doesn't matter what it is. It can be very serious. I have people in my family that have been through sexual abuse and they're saved now, but yet I look and I see decision-making right now that I know has been affected by those things, that I know still those things trigger the way they decide how to go about certain things in their life. And so it is these things that we have to be honest with ourselves and we have to take to the Lord and, and just lay them all out and go, Lord, these things hurt me bad. But I believe everything you've said in here. I believe when you said you've totally wiped everything away and you've made me new. You've made me the righteousness of Christ. I'll tell you what, that's easy to say, right? You hear that a lot in this type of teaching. You hear that a lot. But I'll tell you what, when you're alone and you look in a mirror and you tell yourself that, it doesn't usually come across quite as strong as when Mark says it, right? And it'd be like, I don't, what does he say different than me that makes it sound so unbelievable? But because when we're alone and we look, we allow all those flaws, all those hurts to come through. We see the scars. When we look in that mirror, we see the scars. And what we have to do is we have to take that grace and apply it and go, yeah, those did hurt me, but those will not be allowed to choose my outcome. Those will not be allowed to tell me where I'm going to go and how the Lord is going to use me. And for me personally, just standing up here today, I can tell you that because I can tell you leading up right now, I'm pretty sure there's a puddle in that chair and nobody should sit there. Um, uh, my hands are like so clammy and sticky right now because my flesh tells me you were not made for this. You were not built to do this. But my spirit says, God said it's okay. God opened the door. And so I can tell you, I flunked oral communications, and the reason why I flunked it is because we all had to get up and give a speech, right? And I said, no, I'm not. I'm refusing. I don't care what happens. And they said, then you'll get enough. And I said, I'm okay with that. I don't plan on ever using that, so I'm okay with that. I don't like public speaking. I don't like crowds. But when it comes to Jesus, there's like this switch that happens that goes, Right now, I am sweating everywhere, but he is so awesome that I can't help but tell you guys about him. When he opens that door and puts me in the position, I don't care anymore what I feel like. I go, it's all about him. I want to tell you how great he is. And he allows me to overcome these things. 
And so no matter what area, the religious part of you will want to stamp when we talk about discipleship a lot in our church. Unfortunately, when people think about discipleship a lot, they go, I just need a blueprint of me. I just need whatever Jesus did for me. I just need to stamp that, cut that out of you, and you just go and be like me, be the duplicate of me. And unfortunately, quickly, once you get involved in ministry and meet a lot of people and hear a lot of testimonies and stories, quickly you'll find people aren't just like you. And there's things about them that you're like, would you stop doing that? That's really driving me crazy. But you love them anyways because they know the Lord and then they have the same spirit in them that you do. And you go, great, the Lord is going to go use you somewhere else, I hope, because <laughs> I can't handle that. Um, but, but very quickly, you'll find out discipleship is not making your twin. I can't be like Mark. And, and a couple messages ago, it was so funny because he was saying something about that. He was saying, you know, somebody at work asked him, you know, it must be hard to be Mark Tessman. He's like, no, it's very easy. And I would go, for me, it would be very hard, yes. It would be super hard to, say, go in the grocery store with your wife, see some person over there messing with apples, find a way to make an analogy of apples with God and go up to him and start talking to him. I'd be like, no, we're not doing that. I'm okay with just saying hi to somebody I know, but we are not going up to a stranger and going, hey, let me tell you about Jesus in the apple aisle. Not doing it. For him, it's like spreading butter on toast. It's no problem for him. I've heard stories after stories about this, and I'm like, I don't think I'm ever going to be that person. And thankfully, he said, you don't have to be that person. I go, thank you. Thank you, because I can't be that person, man. My stomach hurts right now being here. And you know what it would be like walking up to somebody? I'd be like, this is going to be ugly quick. They'd be like, I don't think I need that Jesus. He's not looking too hot right now. So, But just to say, don't be afraid to uncover those hurts. Don't be afraid to go back to a scar and go, Lord, I need you to heal this. There's many ways. I can't give you the blueprint for it. I really can't. When I preached the message, I told them some people might go through counseling. Some people might do it in prayer. Some people might do it in a combination of a million different ways. The only starting point I have, the only for sure thing I know, is it starts in God's Word and with God, in prayer with Him and in His Word. And when you start to take the promises, take who you are once you become saved, once you've been that new creation, take who you are in him and stop and go, I can be anybody. doesn't matter what my upbringing told me. doesn't matter what somebody did to me long ago and said, no, you will never be anything or I will hurt you so bad that you will never be the same person. doesn't matter about those things because he takes us and he goes, I am greater than those things. I am greater than what anybody did to you or what anybody told you about yourself. I am greater than what yourself tells you about yourself. And so for me, that's the starting point. Just tell yourself who you are in Christ and then start dealing with one scar. I preached a message about uh, I had two mirrors on the stage and one was the old law. It was like one of those makeup mirrors that magnifies everything. You know, you don't see too many women using those anymore, but back in the day, right? Every woman had one of those bright lights, big mirrors. 
Man, when you look into that, you see everything that's wrong with your face. I mean, you like, um, that didn't look that big yesterday. Like, where'd that come from? You see all the flaws, and that's what the law does. It shows you every single flaw that you have. It doesn't care who you are. It doesn't care how smooth you are, how great you are. When you look in the law mirror, it will show you every flaw you have. And thankfully, I had the second mirror. That was the grace mirror. And when I look into it, I say, man, I'm looking good today. Looking sharp. Thank you, Jesus, because it all looks good today. That's the mirror we need to look into. Go return that law mirror back to Walmart because you don't need it anymore. You just don't need it. It will fail you every time. It did its job when it got you to the point of the broken heart of going, I need Jesus. That's when it said, I'm done here. My work is done here. I did what I needed to do. And then all we need is that grace mirror to look into that and go, I am perfect in Jesus' eyes. How is that even possible? I know every flaw about me, but yet God says, when he looks at me, he says, you are perfect. You are beautiful and perfect. That is just mind-blowing to me. So... The second one I preached was limitless grace. And with that one, I dealt with a lot of trying to look at those religious triggers, trying to go, what is it that when I hear somebody say something or I, when you're walking past people and they're talking and, and you know they're saved, you know they're Christians and you hear something like a cuss word slip out or we went out to dinner and we had a glass of wine. I'm not gonna lie, because I'm Baptist, because I had some upbringing, when I would hear people say that back in the day, I'd be like, nobody ever preached to you. You think you're, you sure you're really saved? You know, maybe I should get up there and preach because I don't know what you guys are listening to. These things would rear up and, and, they, and they would show themselves and go, uh, yeah, I don't think they're really saved. And then so it took a lot of undoing, a lot of, you know, going, that's not what determines their salvation. That doesn't determine who they are in Christ. The decision they made when they found out who he was and what he did for them, that determines who they are in Christ. And so now when I hear those things or I hear people, you know, talk about, well, I go to church and then the next part they're saying something that I'm like, whoa, I go, doesn't matter. God loves them. I mean, God loves them way beyond whatever I could imagine. So one of the scriptures I want to share with you is Ephesians 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 through 21. And it says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Does anybody have the answer to that? How long, how deep, how wide? Does anybody know that? I mean, it's infinite, right? There is no measurement. There is no certain maximum measurement that you can reach to go, this is how far God will love you. I mean, it's far, it's way out there, but this is how far, this is the line. And when you pass that, you've done something really wrong. 
No. There is no limit. It's absolutely limitless. And, and that's what I love. I go, when you think that you've done something to go, I failed him today. I, I just really screwed it up today. And he must just be up there shaking his head. And then I go, wait a minute, step back and look in that mirror. He's not shaking his head at all. He doesn't shake his head toward his, his children. He goes, I love that one. Jesus says, Daddy, I died for that one. Daddy, you already put all their sins on me. You can't even see their sin on them anymore. There is no limit to his love. And, and when you can really keep telling yourself that, it's one thing to know it here, but when you can tell it so much that your heart reacts to it, and on that worst moment you've had, you step back and you go, man, I can't believe he still loves me, but he does. He still loves me. After this horrible day, he still loves me. He didn't even have a knee-jerk reaction to any of this. You know, when I talked about our culture and our upbringing molding us, at my church, we're very interactive. When I ask questions, I expect people to answer me. Like, we're just going to wait in awkward silence if they don't. So, so I'm going to ask you a question, and then you can respond. I was talking to Mark one day, and for whatever reason, the Lord brought this to my mind. But growing up, what did your parents, mainly your dad, use or do to get you to do what he wanted you to do? It's all right, Tanner. You can say it, right? He's like, really, me? Me? I wouldn't do that, right? But discipline, some form of discipline, right? I mean, we've all seen the paddle, right? The belt, the wooden spoon. You name it, we've seen it. If it was within reach, uh, depending on your mom or dad, it could be almost anything in the house. If it wasn't nailed down, there's a good chance it's going to get used on you. But even in our culture, right? If I get pulled over... And the officer is like, you weren't wearing your seatbelt. I'm not going to be like shocked when he gives me the ticket, right? I knew going into it, if I didn't wear it and I get caught, I'm probably going to get punished. We know that in government. We know that in childhood. We are reared. We are indoctrinated to go. Our knee-jerk reaction is when you mess up, the hammer's coming down, right? The hammer's coming down. You're either going to get the belt. You're going to get grounded. You're going to get something because... We have already had it put into us that failure means punishment, some form of discipline. And the reality is all these things we carry over. It's just natural to do it. If my parents taught me that if I come home and I did something wrong in school, I'm going to get the belt. Naturally, I'm going to move over into the spiritual side and go, that's my daddy. If I mess up, he's going to do something to punish me. And we naturally have this religion indoctrination that tells us that. And many times when you go to church, it's reaffirmed over and over every Sunday that, did your washer break down this week? Well, confess to me, what'd you do wrong? Did your car break down? You must not be tithing enough, right? And we joke about it and we laugh, but the reality is we could all be honest and say we've sat through a service where we've probably heard this teaching. And maybe not even intentionally, but because of what they were taught, they just continue on with it. And so we have to take and break this cycle of this religious doctrine and go, I know that in the natural, if we screw up, we're going to get punished. But the reality is in the spiritual, the punishment has been removed, right? We say all the time, there's no condemnation, right? There's no more condemnation. The punishment has been totally removed for all eternity, 
So when we mess up, I wonder how he's going to straighten this one out. We go, wait a minute, there is no more condemnation. Now don't take that to mistake that there aren't consequences for choices that you make, that all of a sudden you go, well, there's no condemnation. I'm about to do whatever I want. Don't mistake consequences for condemnation. Two completely different things. Consequences, you can suffer all the time from bad choices that you make. In fact, if you do them, you probably will suffer something. But you won't suffer condemnation in the spiritual and eternity. God has completely waived that. It is gone. There is nothing to fear of going out and going, I failed you today, Daddy, and thinking your spiritual daddy has a pat on. He's just waiting to whack you with it the minute you walk in the door. That picture is completely gone, never to come back again. Don't ever look at him like that because that's not who he wants to be known for. And that's not who he is. Unfortunately, though, that's the things we grow up with. These are the things that are put into us, sewn into us, and we have to unsew them. We have to go, that's not my daddy. You might think that, and, and I feel bad for you that if that's how you choose to live your life, but that's not who I find when I look in here. And so another scripture, um, Galatians 5.3, and it kind of just reaffirms what I was saying about that, you know. Galatians chapter 5, verse 3, and it says, Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Time and time again, if you'll take the time to read it, you will find it in here. Paul is saying, I set you on the right path. You guys knew the gospel of Jesus. You knew the gospel of grace. You were saved by it. But you have willingly chosen to put the yoke of religion, of law, back on your neck. You have willingly chosen to go, I was saved by grace. I didn't need anything else. But now I need a checklist to live this spiritual life. Now I need something to show me, to keep me in line. I'll be honest, I am that person. You set out a path for me and go, look, this is what I need you to do. I can do that every single day over and over. I won't get bored. I won't get tired. I love ruts. I love deep ruts that I just keep going back and forth and they never change. I love them. My wife, she doesn't. She's like the opposite. She's like, we've gone two feet on a rut. We've gone two feet too much. So I want to be over here and over there and over there. But I'm okay with that. And I love that. I'm comfortable with that. So I'd be like, just put on the wall the do's and the don'ts, and I can do them. I'll be all right with that. But the reality is, eventually I'll fail at one of them, and then what happens? The whole thing comes crashing down on me, right? Because I didn't live up to one single one. The whole thing comes crashing down. That's what the Galatians were trying to do, you know? I can earn something from my father, even though he says he did it all. Because I'm his child now, I'm going to earn something. I'm going to pay him back. With what? I have nothing to pay him back with. He did it all. All I did was go, thank you, give me that gift. Thank you, that was very nice of you. I'll take free stuff. I have nothing left to give back to him, to earn anything from him. Because from the minute I was saved, from the minute I sat in that parking lot and cried my eyes out and said, I need you, Lord, I want you. He said, you have it all. From this very moment, you have it all. You don't need to go looking for more because I have opened it all up for you. Just sit and enjoy it. 
now that I think about it, even in like anything else we do in work, if, if I go to a new job and they're going to teach me the job, they're not just going to put me on the highest position possible the first day, right? They're not like just going to go, hey, you say you kind of know, you've kind of done this before, go ahead, go in the deep water. No, they're going to ease me into it, right? They want me to be the best for them. And so they're going to ease me in until they feel comfortable enough to put me there. God doesn't say, I need you to memorize so many verses or do so many devotions until you truly can experience my complete love, my total love. He says, from the day you loosened that heart and said, it's yours, he says, I've opened it all to you. I've given it all to you. My favorite parable in all of Jesus' parable is the prodigal son. Many times we look at this story and we go, it's a story of failure, right? It's a story of showing how bad we mess up. I read it and I go, I can relate because I did the same thing in real life. I went away from home. I thought I could have it all. And I created nothing but destruction. But the only thing when I read that story that ever jumps out time and time again is the father's reaction. Luke chapter 15, and I think since we all know it, I won't read the whole parable, but just starting in verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. When you think about that, was it just pure coincidence that whatever time span it took for the son to come to his senses, and just on that certain day, at that certain time when the son said, I'm going back, and he started walking back, that the father just happened to be walking by that same road looking out and go, hey, there's my son coming back. That's pretty cool. No, the father had to be constantly watching to know that one day this son is going to return and I want to be ready for his return. And so the father was constantly looking out going, is today the day? Is this the moment? And finally that moment arrived and the son was more than happy going, I'm okay with any punishment I get. I'm okay to even be a servant because being a servant is better than where I came from. And so he approaches it with the mindset of going, I'm just going to go back and be a servant because they got it pretty good too. And the father says, come here. Come here. The father goes and wraps him up. If you ever have that feeling that day when you're beating you up or somebody else is trying to beat you up, go back to this and just picture your daddy just wrapping you up and saying, I've got you. You're mine. I love you. You cannot mess up in my world. You cannot mess up because I love you that much the thing that sticks out is, and then they celebrated. Don't stop celebrating. Don't stop it. I mean, I don't care how long you've been doing this. I don't care how many of these messages you hear. Don't stop celebrating that God loves you and you alone. 
Yeah, he loved the whole world. That's what John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the whole world, but he loves each and every one of us on an individual basis. Not this, oh, he loves all the Christians and, and he wants all the Christians to pray to him and, and he wants all the Christians to worship him. No, he wants you personally to pray to him. He wants to personally talk to you and you and me and her and him personally. He doesn't want just one person to come up and go, I got a word from God and I'm going to tell it to you so that you people know you're loved. No, God says, I put myself inside of you so that you could know that you're loved, so that you could know that I want to interact with you every single day. I don't want to speak to you just through someone else. He's not somehow special that he comes up and I tell him how much he's loved and then he gets to share the love with you. No. God wants to love you personally every day. So I just want to leave you one with encouragement because like I said before, you truly do have the best ministers that anybody could have. I promise you that. I seriously mean that. He may tell you that Paul White is so much better. I haven't listened to Paul White. Maybe Paul White's a great preacher. I will tell you Mark is the best. And Mark is the best because he has veil. And the same thing with Steve. Steve is the best because he has Heather. Because all four of them showed me this amazing love of God over and over. And I know Mark personally, and I know that the minute any single one of you needs something, he will jump like that. There will not be a pause. There will not be, let me think about it. Let me check my calendar. He will be there like that. So I know you have the best. And the second thing is, don't ever let somebody talk you out of how much God loves you. Don't ever let anybody do that, not even yourself. I don't care how bad you think you are. I don't care if you've been repeating the same sin for a year now and you say, I can't break it. That does not change who you are in the eyes of your Father. That does not change how much He loves you on that day when you're doing that sin. It doesn't change it one bit. And if you don't know Him, life will tell you that you are not worthy. Life will tell you that you are less than what you should be. And that is just not the truth. God loves you so much that God says, you are everything you need to be in me. I will make you more loved than anything you could ever know. I love my wife dearly. I mean, I love her a lot. But she asks me every now and then, she always wants to, you know, go into the what abouts or what ifs. And she's like, what if I die and you're all alone? And I'm like, I'll be okay. I'll be fine. And that's not because I don't love her. And that's not the answer she was looking for. But that's the truth. I'm, I'm, I'm a truth guy. I'm like, I just lay out the facts. The truth is, I'll be fine. Because Jesus is my everything. And Jesus gave me you to love you and to receive love. But you're not my everything. And I've met a lot of people who make the spouse or the children their everything. And then they get into a situation where that person or those people are gone. And all of a sudden, they're looking around going, I'm missing. I'm not complete. I'm complete. I tell you that, I promise you, I'm complete because of who Jesus is in me. I don't want her to go anywhere. I really don't. I want her to be here for a long time. But if she does go, I'll be fine because Jesus is my everything. And he wants to be your everything. He wants to love you with a deep love that nobody else, even if she can't show me the love, he shows me. And that's what he wants to do every single day. And he wants to remind you, 
I loved you so much. I went to the cross and took it all for you. There was not one sin that somehow creeped by the cross or snuck by or was hidden and now all of a sudden it's popping its head up. Every sin of everybody was nailed to that cross. And then Jesus rose so that he could defeat every single one of them. So don't ever let a sin or a person or a speaker or religion or anything, even yourself, tell you that you are not worthy of this God's love. This Father loves you dearly. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, I just thank you, Father. I thank you for what Mark and Val are doing, what Steve and Heather are doing. I thank you for their commitment to this ministry. There were no buildings and there was nothing. I know Mark would stand on a street corner. He would go into every grocery store and tell every single person about your love, about how great it is, about how infinite it is, about how eternal it is. So Lord, I thank you for what they have here. I thank you for their congregation. And I thank you for what you're doing here. I pray that you would just continue to bless it, continue to grow it and, and prosper it. And Lord, I thank you dearly for how much you love us. That we don't have to hide in fear on a day when we've messed up. That we don't have to go and hide in our bedroom and hope that daddy doesn't come knocking and going, what did you do today? Tell me how you messed up today so I can tell you what the punishment is. The punishment is gone. The condemnation has been lifted and we can live freely knowing there is nothing but love from our Heavenly Father. So I pray, Lord, that we would go from here confident, being able to know that we are fully and completely loved by you and nothing can diminish that. We just praise you and honor you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.